I've discovered in so many ways, brother, through all of the explorations that I've done during that five-year window, that really our biggest blessing is just this gift of connectivity that we share with each other. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. One of the coolest things about my job as the host of the Lifestylist Podcast is always being on the cutting edge and not only finding out the best products when it comes to health, but the best companies that are making those products. Now, I'm someone that's been into bee products for a really long time. And if you heard episode 175 with Carly Stein, you got to hear me totally geek out on my obsession with bees and bee products. If you haven't heard that one, by the way, go back and check it out. That's 175. But what I didn't know about bee products is A, how many different products bees actually make in a hive, what their different uses are in terms of health support, and also that there are just a lot of companies that are making products that are very inferior. Either they're weak or they're not tested for pesticides and things like that. So the whole like bee product game, I thought I was pretty on top of and I got schooled in that episode and now I'm going back and kind of re-educating myself and I'm using all of the products from Beekeepers Naturals. So they've got a few that I'm really into. There's the propolis, which is kind of like the medicine of the hive. Then you've got, of course, the bee pollen, which is the food. That's the protein. It's actually the highest protein food on the planet. And it's also got free-forming amino acids. So it's great for pre-workout, for muscle recovery. And then, of course, the raw honey, which is amazing. And I thought I knew something about honey. It's got live enzymes. You know, if you take a little bit before you go to bed, it helps you sleep. There's some things like that. But it turns out honey is a legit superfood if you get it from the right company. It's full of antioxidants and it's just insanely powerful. Then you've got royal jelly. Now, royal jelly is the chronic stuff. That's the food that's exclusively made for the queen bee. So the queen bee lives about 40 times longer than the average worker bee. So put the math together there and you'll know that royal jelly is some badass stuff. And if you want to try all of these products that the bees make in one, I'm going to recommend Bee Powered by Beekeepers Naturals. That's one of my favorites. Now, honestly, I go through it a little too fast. It comes in a jar and I just like pound that stuff. I probably weigh OD on it. You don't need to do it like I do it. You can savor it and make it last. But it's an amazing product and a really great way for you to get an introduction into all of the bee products in one jar. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15%. That's beekeepersnaturals.com and the code is LIFESTYLIST. I'd like to take a moment to talk about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, you are no stranger to the topic because I've covered it with so many of our past guests. You're probably aware of the dangers of EMF exposure in your home, but you have no idea where to start when it comes to fixing it. You might be concerned about your exposure to the current 3G, 4G, and 5G wireless networks now active in most major cities. You might have even attempted to test the levels in your home yourself with EMF meters you found online. 
and just became frustrated and confused and kind of gave up on the project. Well, same story here. That's why I created the EMF Home Assessment Masterclass with my friend Brian Hoyer. I've been passionate about this topic for many years, and I finally took it upon myself to take all of the information that I've gained and create an amazing video course about it. Now, this is going to be released in the coming weeks, so I wanted to give you a heads up on it. You can go to lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. That's lukestory.com EMF Masterclass and sign up for the wait list. You can also text on a US phone the word EMF Masterclass to the number 44222. So again, you can text EMF Masterclass to 44222 or go to lukestory.com forward slash EMF Masterclass and you will have the opportunity to enter the wait list. And when you do so, you're going to save a hundred bucks off the course. Yes, that's right. This is over four hours of content. There's seven modules, six bonus videos. And in this particular course, you're going to learn everything, literally everything you could have ever wanted to know about not only how to find the EMF in your home, but how to fix it. It's pretty awesome. So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash EMF masterclass or using a US phone, you can text the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222. You're about to dive into episode 290, Stone by Stone, The Pathway to Enlightenment with Panache Desai. Panache is a best-selling author, thought leader, and business and life catalyst. His loving and compassionate presence and unique power of insight have transformed countless individuals, organizations, and companies across the world. Through his gift of energetic transformation, Panache empowers people to break free from suffering and limitation, guiding them into greater states of connection, collaboration, and love. He's got a fantastic new book called You Are Enough, Revealing the Soul to Discover Your Power, Potential, and Possibility. Before we jump into this inspiring and enlightening conversation with Panache, let's give a shout out to next week's episode, The Cosmic MD Returns, due to popular demand. I'm talking about Dr. Ted Achikoso. Next week's show is called Dissolving the Ego, Ketamine Therapy, and the Core of Consciousness. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss next week's episode with Dr. Ted or any episode to follow. In this conversation with Panache, we discuss the following and much, much more. What it was like growing up Indian in London with spirituality such a huge part of his life. Realizing he was born with true spiritual gifts and insights and how he's had to contend with the spiritual ego and the feeling of specialness. How to Maintain Humility as One Grows in Fame, Notoriety, and Success. Advice he has for people who are struggling to avoid the trap of fear during this time of magnificent change and social upheaval. How he reconciles the existence of evil and suffering in the human experience, and the idea that our incarnation would indeed be a waste if life was without challenges and choices. When one is empathetic and sensitive to others, how to avoid taking on their burden while still being of service his experience with ayahuasca, and what it's like to see non-physical entities on a regular basis, including the ones behind me in the studio during the recording. Now it's time to sit back and enjoy this uplifting and deeply inspiring chat with one of my favorite people in the world, Panash Desai. Welcome to the show, sir. It's great to be with you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. So tell me about the most exciting thing going on in your life right at this moment. 
the highlight of my life right now is walking out of my office into my family room and seeing my wife teaching kindergarten and first grade to my children and them having the gift and blessing of having their mother be available to them all day long without interruption. Literally, every time I'm walking in there, my, I'm just so touched like, and just so grateful for the gift that is emerging out of this challenging time that we as a family are together and spending time in proximity that is just time that is just so valuable. And so that for me right now is everything. I love it. I love it. That's a great way to start off this conversation. And, you know, this will come out, uh, you know, hopefully as things have calmed down and this pandemic drama has subsided to a degree, but I'm sure there will be repercussions, especially for many people that have become unemployed and are going to be hit financially as a result of this country basically shutting down. So uh, I'm sure that people will need that perspective at whatever time they're hearing this. But uh, likewise, as we kind of discussed briefly before we started recording, uh, I've been put back into the stone ages of my <laughs> recording technology here. You know, back when I started, I did everything on Skype and Zoom, and there were always these technical problems with connections and earbuds dying, and you know, this kind of stuff. And uh, and I've been so fortunate to do them live in person. So when that became impossible, as was our you know originally scheduled in person interview. I had to make some mental adjustments and find the silver lining in my uh, production process and in my ability to still what, do what I do. And one of the main things for me has been going, wow, think about all of the people that can't go to work and uh, earn a living now because of what's going on. And thank God I'm able to do what I do with a computer in front of me and an internet connection, despite my being kind of spoiled with really high quality audio and video <laughs> over the past yeah. couple of years from doing them in person and really fine, you know, fine tuning and always upgrading, you know, the the end product of the uh, of the content I'm putting out. So I'm I'm stoked that I'm still able to do that and talk to people like you and even live stream it for our friends here on on Facebook and Instagram. So uh, that's cool, man. Thank you for the attitude adjustment. And uh, speaking of your kids, from what I understand, you've got two sets of twins, right? I do. I've got two seven-year-olds and two five-year-olds. Wow. That's, yeah. so, that's so incredible. And I know that one of your daughters has had some health challenges. How is she doing right at the moment? She's doing great. So um, Celeste and Leah were born in February of 2010, as, as, uh, February 10th, actually, of 2012. So 2015, sorry. And uh, my first set of twins were born in 2012. And uh, she was uh, diagnosed with a congenital heart disease and uh, complex congenital heart disease. And so basically we were told while uh, we were pregnant with her that she probably wasn't going to make it. She was subsequently born. Uh, within hours of being born, had her first open heart procedure. Uh, subsequently went on to have four other open heart procedures and then a heart transplant. And uh, so this is within the eight, first 18 months of her life. And she's five now. Uh, she's healthy. Uh, she's the boss baby of our house. Uh, she, she's, <laughs> she's the alpha she's, baby. <laughs> she's, she's fundamentally redefined everything for me and for my family. And, uh, you know, she's, she just puts everything into perspective every day for us all. Yeah, I, I sent a friend of mine uh, who will, I guess, remain unnamed, but he could be watching or eventually listening to this. I sent him a podcast of yours that I listened to this morning, actually, while I was getting up watching the sunrise. That's how I 
that's another benefit of what what's going on. The sunrise practice, sun gazing for me has been something that's been difficult uh, to keep up with. Living where I live now in Laurel Canyon because it's it's hard to I have to drive up the hill. It's cold. It's dark. But I've been doing it because I go to bed early now because nothing's going on. Uh, but I was listening to your podcast up there this morning. He has uh, a daughter with you know I would say a similar degree of complications and is you know I'm. I'm sure having a hard time with that um, at various times. So it was a real gift to be able to hear your story regarding that and sent that to him. And he had just texted me before we started and said, Oh my God, thank you for sending this. I really needed to hear this right now. So, you know, it's out of suffering often, isn't it, that some of our greatest gifts emerge? Yeah, we need to suffer in order to be humbled, in order to access <laughs> the vulnerability to receive the help that we need. You know, the, the, the whole timing of everything with Celeste was just so divinely orchestrated because I was an Oprah in February of 2013. My book came out in April of 2014 and we were notified uh, that we were pregnant again and we were just on one high after another. I mean, it was just this amazing wave of grace that was traversing through our life. And all of a sudden we get the phone call from the hospital that there's an issue in one of the ultrasounds. And uh, in that moment, it's like everything gets redefined and everything stops. And it's the cracks, right? It's the cracks in the identity, the cracks in the persona, you know, the cracks in the success and the fame and the reach and whatever all of these things are through which grace enters our lives. And, um, you know, her, her journey for the last five years has been nothing short of extraordinary because as much as she's the one that's been going through it, you know, my family's closer together now than it ever has been. And I always say to people, you know, she, she specifically came into my life to help me correct my own heart defect you know, to, to help me become clear about what I was living for, you know, what was driving me, what was motivating me, you know, to, to help me understand what was important and what we as human beings really need. And I've discovered in so many ways, brother, through all of the explorations that I've done during that five-year window, that really our biggest blessing is just this gift of connectivity that we share with each other. You know, it, it, there's, there's nothing transcendent about it there's nothing you know amorphous about it there's nothing really nothing other dimensional about it other than just one human heart authentically being present for another like we are now you know out of all of the uh, spiritual teachers and um, inspiring people that i've interviewed and there's been well i guess right now i'm up to about 200 interviews some of them have not been necessarily spiritually oriented many of them just about general health and personal development, but it's very rare that I interview someone who's deeply committed to their path that hasn't gone through some pretty serious adversity. Uh, and the ones that haven't, I always find them to be the most interesting because it leads me to believe that they must have had a lot of experience uh, in suffering in prior incarnations that led them to their commitment in this one, because you look at their life here and everything's been relatively smooth. They didn't have a significant amount of trauma or addictions or illness or any of the things that so often drive us. As you said, they, through those cracks, they create in, in you know, in the armor, the shell of the ego, the identity that uh, persuade us and encourage us to seek a greater understanding. So I always find those people really interesting. You know, I'll ask them like, what was it that, that hooked you, you know, that, that caused that, that surrender experience. And every once in a while, someone's like, nothing. I just love God. <laughs> you know, I always find that, I always find that so uh, odd and so curious, you know, um, in terms of your, your experience, uh, growing up as an, as a, an Indian kid in London, um, did you experience any adversity as a kid where, you know, was there any trauma or bullying or not feeling as though you fit in or any of that, that 
led you to a spiritual path or were you just drawn toward you know meditation and uh and mindfulness and all the things that you like to share now i think the biggest blessing for me was that the first five years of my life was spent with my grandmother and my grandmother was an extremely devotional woman uh, she would pray every day she would chant every day uh, i grew up in the meditation room in the house uh, there was the thick smell of incense every day that good temple incense and uh and this was my introduction you know in, onto this planet and um, of course, being Indian uh, in the UK, uh, lots of gurus and saints and sages would come to visit uh, London on their way to America, on the way to other places. And on the weekends, we'd go and see them and have darshan and they buck you on your head with some peacock feathers yeah, and yeah. some Indian sweets. And typically you have to stand in line for about two or three hours because there's a lot of Indians everywhere. And, uh, and I would always get to the front of the line with my family, whatever family member I was with, and they would always just say, thank you for incarnating, we've been waiting for you. And I just found that to be the strangest thing ever, you know, and this is when I was still very young. Um, also, this phenomenon that's kind of expressing itself through me was also expressing itself through me then. I just didn't understand it. And in some ways, I was afraid of it. Um, I've always had a very heightened sensitivity, very, very heightened sensitivity. I could basically feel things in people I could see things that were going to happen. I could um, experience um, things inside of myself that uh, were happening in the other person. And I would be able to tell them exactly what I was feeling. And it's like, how do you know that? I've never shared that with anyone in my life. And some of the earliest um, occurrences of this phenomenon, the manifestation of it, were that my, my aunt was actually dating, um, who is now my uncle Perez at the time. <laughs> and uh, my uh, grandparents were having a bit of a hard time with this relationship. So my auntie would say to my grandma, I need to take panache out to get some ice cream, right? So it's great for me. Upside was a lot of ice cream, right? So uh, I'd end up in a park and, uh, and they would kind of keep an eye on me. And I'd be sitting there just kind of playing and minding my own business. And I remember distinctly that people would be drawn to me. And this is one particular occasion when this slightly elderly gentleman was drawn to me. And he had just been burdened by life, you know, just that kind of worn down, like, shoulders hunched over kind of an energy and um he sat next to me and then all of a sudden he began to unburden himself and all of this stuff began to came out of him uh all of his sadness and everything that had been repressed at the subconscious level uh we call them some scars began to come out and once this was finished he got up and he was sparkly uh the only thing that i can liken it to is like Somebody before an ayahuasca journey and somebody after an ayahuasca <laughs> journey. I'm uh, familiar. Except, I'm familiar with that contrast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Except that there was no ayahuasca. It was just right. my presence alone and my beingness was. This was happening. Um, so I was just weird, bro. Like I, I, I was yeah. like so bizarre in the context of life. And even though I was in a spiritual family, um, you know, they, they didn't. I mean, they didn't know what to do with me. I mean, this was beyond you know what they what they were even aware of. And so life was hard, you know, because when you get older, you become a teenager. It's all about finding belonging and community. And I didn't really fit in anywhere. I didn't understand this kind of herd mentality, right? So, of course, it made me a target. Uh, subsequently, was bullied and, you know, had to learn to stand up for myself. And I learned very early on that if I could match the energy of the person, that that would be enough. So I learned as, a, as almost like a self-defense mechanism that if there was an energy coming at me, if I could match the intensity of that energy, that nine times out of 10, that person would back down because what we were responding to is the energy. And so I, for the most part, I was fine. There were some experiences that I'd had, 
but my saviour, my saving grace came through music in the UK in my teens. You know, during all this bullying and everything that was going on, there's some stuff going on at home with my mom and dad where, you know, I wasn't sure that they were going to make it at this point in their marriage. And I turned on the radio, the FM dial at that point, FM dial. I remember the FM dial. Some, some of you are going to have to Google it. And uh, basically in London, they would hijack both ends of the FM dial, right? And there's this music coming out, brother, and it was like drum and bass at the time and jungle. And, uh, and then it was basically garage and two-step. And I was just like, wow, this is the coolest thing. And so all of a sudden, I found an outlet for myself. I began writing lyrics and writing rhymes and got involved in pirate radio. And I was the only Indian kid involved in like the underground music scene. Uh, of course, the only problem with that at the time was that it was very dangerous because all of the best music was going on all the underground clubs. Uh, and there was typically a lot of violence there, uh, a lot of uh, that kind of beefs that were being settled in real time in these environments. And um, the culmination of this for me, this kind of phase of life in London happened actually at a club in Brixton. Uh, I had had an altercation prior where three people had kind of jumped me because I was Indian uh, and in the place that they felt Indian people shouldn't be. And then I was embarrassed to go home. So I went out, uh, ended up getting up in an after hours club. And uh, before we got there, somebody had been shot. And this is a very serious situation that happened we didn't know about. Next thing you know, there's another altercation that happens with some friends of mine. Next thing, guns are drawn and uh, the Metropolitan Police surrounds the club. They won't come in because they don't want to breach the club because they don't want to shoot out or a hostage situation. And we were basically just let out one by one. And uh, in that moment, I realized that I was living a lie, that I had to get back to the spirituality, spirituality of my childhood, that I was tired of making other people happy, predominantly my grandfather, uh, because I was Indian. Um, I was even studying a degree at that point that I didn't really love. Um, I wanted to study philosophy, but he basically talked me into doing law and business studies because unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, you're a failure <laughs> and you're Indian. My, and, uh, you know, many yeah. of my Indian uh, friends support that uh, same narrative, you know, and their experience. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my wake up call came in this, in this uh, moment of just, okay, if I keep doing what I'm doing, not just the music, but everything that I'm doing, not only is the suffering getting louder and louder and louder, but I'm actually now putting my life in jeopardy in being in this situation. And uh, I sat down with my mom and I said, mom, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm miserable. Uh, I'm trying to make everybody else happy. I'm trying to do what everybody else wants me to do. But this is just, I'm miserable. I have to go and live. I have to go be a monk. I have to go away and live like a monk for six months. <laughs> and, and these words just fell out of my mouth. And uh, I ended up moving to an ashram, residential retreat center, lived a monastic life for six months. And that's really where my return to spirituality, return to the deep immersion of spiritual connection, the oneness and the return of all of the gifts began was uh, in the ashram. Wow, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, it's interesting that you were a kid and experiencing these cities, right? It sounds like, you know, of, of varying degrees, meaning these sort of phenomenon yeah. of spiritual energy and transmitting Shakti to the, to the kids in school. And go, they're going, who is this freak? You know, I imagine that it's like, a, you know, the kid that has a ESP powers and, you know, everyone's sort of afraid of them. I'm, I'm picturing that. Uh, and also, I really relate to the, the experience um, to a lesser degree because it was only a couple of times this happened. But I remember being a little kid in uh, the Bay Area where I lived primarily and 
at one point, my mom, she was, she doesn't like when I call her a hippie because in the sixties, hippies were, didn't shower a lot and, you know, kind of roamed the streets and did a lot of drugs. And that wasn't really her scene. She's like, I was a mod, but to me, she was a hippie because of the incense and the music that was played in the house and the, you know, floral dresses and just the whole vibe, lots of plants in the house, you know, it was a very earthy kind of vibe. But anyway, uh, at one point we got invited to go see uh, Swami Muktananda, who at that time in the uh, late seventies had an ashram in Oakland. And so we went there to go to Darshan and uh, with, with a friend of my mom's, we went and stayed the night in Oakland. And I remember being a kid and the minute I walked in there and took my shoes off, I just felt so at home. And I'll just, it had such a huge impact on me uh, to the point that later in life, when I was really in dire straits myself, um, Eastern mysticism and uh, the Indian saints, sages, and gurus were the path that I first found as a means to salvation. But that the Shakti experience of Muktananda, just being in his presence, had that much of an imprint on me. I think I was eight or nine years old. It would have been 78, 79, something like that. Uh, that that really forged my path. And, you know, of course, all of these years later, now I'm 49 years old. And I mean, those teachings and the various forms of yoga and meditation and going to India myself many years ago for, for a period and all that um, had such a big impact. And it's, it's interesting, I think, as I'm not a parent, but as a parent, I can imagine you don't know the impact those experiences are having on a kid because you're just kind of dragging them along to what you want to do. But that spiritual energy is real and it's palpable and influential and it does imprint the consciousness of a kid who is perhaps karmically destined to be there at that moment and have that experience. But I'll never forget that. And, um, and also the thing that I remembered about it was when I went up to get my blessing, uh, my mom was by my side and, and he said, oh, this boy has a very old soul. And I was like, yeah, you know, because when you're a kid, you, you know, everyone treats you like a kid, you know, and you, you want to be old and tough and all those things. And I was like, yeah, mom, listen to that. I've got an old soul, you know, and um, it's just one of the most cherished experiences of, of my life and, and uh, memories like that and, and many others to follow. So um, I, I, I love that part of your story that those things had an influence and I'll, I'll be in a Kundalini yoga class or something now and see someone there with their kids. And I'm always like, yes, good move. Because no matter what path they end up taking, maybe they you know, don't become a spiritual teacher, but the, the energetic imprint and influence is undeniable, uh, whether they're interested or not. It's just being in an energy field that's that uplifting is so powerful. So um, thank you for sharing that. So, uh, so you, you have this kind of you know, awakening experience where you realize although you're enjoying music and clubs and you know, you're finding a tribe amongst your friends, uh, you go off on this retreat for six months. How did that evolve in you becoming a spiritual teacher and, and earning a living doing that? And B, uh, although I didn't name A, uh, have, you, have you ever struggled with reconciling, kind of creating a brand and marketing spiritual gifts. So what was that transition like? And, and has it been something you've had to uh, tread carefully around or has it just been a natural progression that you didn't have to think about much? So first of all, uh, what you just shared with me was beautiful because my mother, before she had me, had a stillborn baby girl and she went to Ganeshpuri and Baba Muktananda blessed me in the womb at three months old. What? Uh, yeah. No way. Wow. Yeah. 
And the meditation center that we had in the home was uh, a, a Swami Muktananda's uh, Padukas, which are the sandals, were there. And we had a signed picture of Swami Muktananda on the wall and Bhagwan Nityananda on the back wall. And, uh, and so this was my childhood. Uh, and so even when I, went, and when I went to the ashram, I went to South Fallsburg, uh, upstate New York, because there's a room there where Baba Muktananda's chair is there and his sandals. And the reason why I went there is because people don't really go to that room. They spend most of their time in the, in the temple or doing their seva. And so when I wasn't doing my selfless service, I would go and sit with Baba, uh, who actually always felt, felt more like my father than my actual father. It's a very strange connection I have with him. And, uh, and this is where everything began to kind of awaken in me. Uh, so I, I can't believe you just shared that, but of <laughs> course either. you just did. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. this is how we're related. Um, so, and, and then the, the other part of it is that, so in the ashram itself, it was very hard for me because, you know, there was a guru there at the time, Guru Mai, and, uh, and I love Guru Mai. I'm so grateful to her for everything that she did, she's done for me, that she's done for, for my family, for keeping Baba's teachings alive in the world and for doing everything that she's doing. I, I, she's just an incredible, incredible presence in this, on this earth. And uh, the hard thing for me was that people were experiencing things through me that you're only supposed to experience through the guru. And so like I would touch people, they would go into Samadhi. I would know things about people I would share with them. Like, I just had this habit of showing up at the right time in the right place with people and all of a sudden sharing what was required. And then they would just fall on the floor and try and touch my feet and say, you're my guru. And I'd be like, no, get away from me. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, yeah, so it was very hard for me. And uh, it's been very hard for me from the beginning because I think that what happens is human beings need to compartmentalize things. And because I'm Indian, um, people put me in the box, right? A spiritual teacher or guru, but, but I'm not really that. You know, I, I really, I'm just like an old friend. You know, that's the only way I can describe it. You know, I'm, I'm not better than you. I'm not further ahead than you. I, I don't have anything that you don't have. You know, I'm just displaying a potential that you have yet to remember. That's all it is. And so when everything first happened, especially after I had my real kind of awakening experience where I experienced the divine, you know, I wasn't teaching. I was in bliss. I was in absolute bliss for three to six months, just in an exalted state of connection. And there were no words. People had heard what had happened to me. They would just come and sit with me. And just through being in the presence of the Shakti, whatever was going on with them would transform. You see, so, so the misconception is that teaching happens through language. It doesn't. You know, in India, we have this deep tradition of presence. And that is actually the presence, the transformative presence that is the guru. But that doesn't belong to the individual. That belongs to, to God. That belongs to all of us, right? I think that we falsely identify with it as us but it's not us at all we're just the vessel and the vehicle through which this is this manifestation is unfolding in the world and so thank god uh, i've always been a reluctant messenger thank god egoically i've never identified with spirituality it was the furthest thing in the world that i ever wanted anything to do with uh, you know there were points when i would run the other way and as it relates to the formation of the role in the identity what happens is people create that it's not that you create that. People create that. And they create that to have a box of understanding, you know. And, and, I, and I, say that, I said this with Oprah too, you know. Oprah said, so you're like Deepak. And I said, no, I'm Indian. 
I'm just Indian and in a spiritual capacity. So people then automatically assume, oh, he's like Deepak. And I love Deepak. Right. Right? So, so, yeah, yeah. so this is where, but if I was white, you know, Wayne Dyer was alive at the time, they would have called me Wayne Dyer, right? It, it's just, but, but this is what we do as human beings. You know, we take a phenomenon, we take an expression, we put it in a box of conformity that's understandable. So for me, um, I allowed this to become an expression when I met my wife, Jan. And when I met my wife, Jan, I finally met somebody whose intentions were pure, who loved me as the human being that I was, and who really wanted to be of service. She didn't need anything. And she said to me, just she said, she said, I love what you're doing. I love the integrity with which you're sharing it. Can I create some structure around this to help you? And I said, yes. And so um, this is kind of how it all began. You know, but, but prior to that, like prior to 07, I was just wandering around with a backpack and a gold donation box and a second generation iPod, just giving Shopify to people, basically. Just, just like, walk, just completely giving Shopify to everybody. Just, it, and it didn't matter. Like, I was just completely in flow. And um, when she basically said, you know what, I really believe in what you're doing. Let's give it some structure. That's when it began to take a form and began to cultivate a platform. And I realized the benefits of that because I think that sometimes people have an aversion to certain things. And, and I don't think that we're meant to have an aversion to anything. I, I think that we're meant to be empowered to create some kind of a structure, not that it becomes a prison, but just enough of a structure so that we can be effective in the world. And, uh, and so that's how I, I navigate it now. You know, of course, the, the Shakti in and of itself is formless and boundless. So it doesn't matter what container you put it in, it expresses infinitely because it's what it is. Uh, yeah, and so that's, that's how I, that's how I reconcile the two. And the other thing too, bro, for me, is that, you know what, this is a calling, you know, it, it's, it's a calling, you know, and I think that's the other thing too. There's a difference between having a career and having a calling, you know, and when it's the thing that you have to do and it's aligned with who you are at the level of your soul, it's so natural and authentic to you, you know, that you have no choice but to be that in the world. And so, uh, that's basically, uh, how I've ended up here. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Let's give some Los Angeles love to our friends over at Osea, the original plant-based, results-driven skincare line. A couple years ago, I received a mysterious box in the mail, opened it up to find some skincare products. Nice packaging, I thought. Let's see what's inside. So I turned it around to take a peek at the ingredient deck because you know I'm a very discerning user of products I put in or on my body. And uh, to my surprise and joy, I found that their ingredient deck was extremely clean, uh, so much so that if one wanted to, you could in fact eat their products, although I wouldn't recommend it because they're so good for your skin. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And their entire line is built on these four pillars, and they pull botanical sources from all around the world to create products that are truly effective. Each of their products is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals. They're founded and run by a family of women inspired by the sea. And Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. Every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love right here in California. 
And by the way, if you're in the LA area, make sure to stop by the Osea Venice Skincare Studio for a facial that will blow your mind. If you want to order online, simply go to oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. That's O-C-E-A Malibu.com slash the lifestylist. If you use that link, you're going to get 10 bucks off your first purchase of $50 or more. And you'll also get free shipping on U.S. orders of $75 or more and free samples with every order. That's oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. And now back to the interview. And a phenomenon that I've always found really interesting is the phenomenon of the fallen guru, the one who's being used by source as a channel, is given certain abilities and powers, and then through a lack of education about the potential risks involved in the ego, taking ownership of that and using it for its own selfish ends, they fall prey to lowering their consciousness and even you know, becoming uh, quite unintegrous in some cases. And uh, it's just, you know, it's part of the human phenomenon I've always been so fascinated with is you uh, have someone, and I don't know this to be a fact, but based on observation and other people's accounts, uh, the saint um, Satya Sai Baba comes to mind, who uh, I went to see and have darshan with many years ago in Puttaparthi, India, in Southern India. And um, a few members of my family had been traveling there quite a bit and living there for long periods of time. And that was the first time I ever heard firsthand accounts of miracles being performed. Uh, the booty being manifested and little trinkets and rings and bilocation and speaking multiple languages at once to a group of people and really fantastic things that were being relayed to me by people that I knew A, weren't liars and weren't nuts. And so that was kind of my first introduction into seeing that perhaps God can work through people and that some people are chosen and they have these powers. And so uh, that was really actually the first kind of entity that I ever prayed to in my life because I didn't really grow up with a strong structure of spirituality or religion or anything. And um, when I was addled with addiction, I think the first prayer I ever had was praying to Sai Baba. And I had his book or a picture of him and I would ask if I could be set free uh, from from these addictions. And so that's a whole other you know story that perhaps we'll get into another time. But whether or not he was able to channel the answer to that prayer or not. The prayer was answered and I've been free for 23 years now from that bondage. But what ensued after that was all of this scandal around that particular guru in that the, the general story of people that are, have no agenda in tearing him down is that he's one that had natural God-given powers and could manifest things and used his powers for good and built hospitals and schools and People that donated money, he gave it away and you know, just really was acting in a saintly way. And then at some point, uh, because the personality or ego came into play, then he had to start faking the miracles as a magician in order to kind of keep things afloat. You know? and, I, and again, I don't know whether or not that's true. It's, it could be used as a parable for any number of enlightened beings that have graced the planet that were unaware of that particular part of the teaching that you just explained that one must be careful to not take themselves personally, right? And to think mm-hmm. that one is the source of these powers or abilities to you know, cause someone to go into samadhi or whatever these um, experiences that you're describing. So it's so fortunate for you that inherently you kind of knew to watch out for that 
And um, early on, I've never had those kind of powers that I'm aware of. Um, although I have been told when I'm around people, they tend to calm down, which is nice to hear uh, mm-hmm. in, in certain cases. But um, one of my early teachers used to always warn me about the spiritual ego. Mm-hmm. As you start to awaken, you you must be ever mindful because the ego is there waiting for any any ability or identity to uh, embody and capitalize on and use for its own ends. And so this is you know back into that phenomenon where you have someone who has true gifts, but then then they lose they lose touch with the essence of it because of the propensity of the ego. Um, so is that? And there was another part that you talked about that I want to touch on too, but that I think that's just something that's so important for for anyone to remember that is exploring their gifts or has God given gifts or they're they're doing their spiritual work and you know they're studying meditation and keeping up with their practices. That as you start to elevate your consciousness, we're all at risk for sort of being led astray mm-hmm. uh, through the Maya of that. Um, that uh, to ten- tendency of the ego to 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 rob you of that um, of that gift. Yeah, that's a beautiful awareness, and and I think that um, just to help further cement that for people is that you know uh, in India, uh, spiritual gifts are the booby prize. <laughs> uh, you're not engaging in your sadhana, your spiritual practice to cultivate gifts and abilities. Uh, any any manifestation of a gift is actually a trap and a limitation. And uh, it, what's been interesting for me too is that you know I could always see through everybody. So uh, when I was around a lot of these teachers and gurus and around a lot of people in the space today, I can see through them. I can see through their energy and their intentionality. And I was always very present to where it was coming from. And the interesting thing is. And this isn't just as it relates to gurus and spirituality or spiritual teachers. This is as it relates to all of us. Any box that we put ourselves in is a prison that we have to live inside of. So if I were to all of a sudden become a guru, then I would have to live inside of the box of a guru and then have to experience every limited agreement and construct around that role. And this is why we have to understand that every role that we identify with is a limitation that eventually we have to transcend. You know, the, the, in, in oneness, life is as you are. And all of these phenomena that are unfolding through people, and we all have the capacity to have these things unfold through us. It's just that we're limiting ourselves so much. You know, when you, when you relax and you allow yourself to just simply be present with somebody, whatever needs to be shared is being shared. You know, we, we don't have to label it. We don't have to... Uh, identified. It doesn't have to be even be made a big deal, you know, but, but the more you diminish yourself in who you are, the more the self, the essence of who we are begins to express through us. And, um, one of the things that I, I love about what you're talking about is the notion of the spiritual ego, because there's a core identity that for whatever reason we believe isn't good enough. And then we create the spiritual identity, which is almost a better than version right right so so it's not enough that we have one identity now we have another identity superimposed over the first identity right which is better than look at me i'm holy and i meditate and you know right so so, my mala beads and orange robe (laughs) exactly right but it's it's just another prison all we've done is we've upgraded our prison right we have a slightly nicer toilet seat we have slightly nicer toilet paper Maybe the prison bars are, you know, fuzzy and warm instead of cold and hard, right? 
but ultimately we're still in prison. And for me, my intention and my pursuit has always been absolute freedom. What is, what is available to me beyond roles, beyond gifts, beyond all material phenomenon? And, you know, one of the main catalysts for me in that discovery has been ayahuasca. Uh, and, and it's interesting how ayahuasca came into my experience because right around the time when um, I was going through everything with Celeste, she received a heart transplant. And then shortly after receiving a heart transplant, Michael Beckford called me and said, bro, I need you to do me a favor. I'm like, what? He said, can you go lead a retreat in Costa Rica for a week? They do plant medicine. Is that okay with you? I'm like, yeah, sure. What's plant medicine? He said, oh, it's this plant from the Amazon. People take it. They have mystical experiences. I'm like, sure, I'll go. So I went. At Rhythmia? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the first time I was there, uh, I wasn't going to do the medicine. And, uh, and, but I had people that had come there from all over the world who were doing the medicine for the first time. So I'm like, well, listen, I need, I better do this to find out what it is so that I can help people the next day. If I don't have the experience, how am I going to get through that? And, uh, the interesting thing is that my interfacing with ayahuasca breath work, the Amazonian kind of lineages of light allowed me to, to not only shatter but fundamentally uh scrub whatever was left of panache uh that was in the way and uh that experience began um it's been about a three-year journey i've been going back every year and through that experience i have really now gotten to a point where i'm able to be embodied able to be fully present and available i'm not just off in transcendence barely tethered to this reality by a golden thread you know it's been very transformative for me because what we forget about in Eastern mysticism is the body. You know, we're, we're, we're cultivating, you know, the ability to transcend the ability to live in these states of super consciousness, but we're not embodied. And so it's through these experiences and the blessing of this um, consciousness and this mother coming into my life that I was able to finally embody and actualize all of the potential that I had inside of me. And, uh, and the shamans were always shocked that I would do the medicine. Everyone was always shocked that I would do the medicine. You know, they're like, you know, <laughs> normally people in, people in your position don't do the medicine. And I'm like, well, listen, I owe it to my children to drink the medicine. You know, I, I owe it to my, to my lineage. I owe it to my, to my wife. Like I owe it to the people that come to see me to drink the medicine because in drinking the medicine, it's like walking through a metal detector. You know, you can, you can oh, fool the world. Great. That's you great. can fool the world, right? And and you can you can be deluded in yourself, but the medicine is going to show you the truth of who you are. And uh, in walking through that metal detector, I was able to see uh, all of the parts of myself that I had to see, feel what I had to feel inside of myself, and then emerge as the authentic, natural creation that God had made, and to be able to be at peace in that and embody that. And so... Uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that. That's, oh, that's amazing. You know, it's funny. I, d- I didn't have in my list of questions, which sometimes I just completely ignore, as has been the case in this conversation, because they, they're not necessary, <clears throat> um, at least not yet. But uh, I was going to ask you uh, just intuitively if you've experimented with plant medicines, because in my, in my own journey, uh, just in the, really, it's been in the past year and maybe almost a year and a half, there's been I don't know, a lot, actually, um, a lot of those experiences. And um, it was a huge uh, step for me because, as I said, I have a background in addiction. So 22 years of not taking anything mind-altering other than coffee and 
you know, cigarettes back in the day. Um, still coffee, lots of it. Uh, it was a huge sort of risk for me. And I really had to, it took about a year of contemplation and really going inside to determine whether or not, you know, what my motives were. In other words, if my motives were pure and if there was any risk of being, you know, drawn back into the old way of life. And, you know, I became convinced that there weren't and that it could only be beneficial. But oh my God, I feel like in the time since I first went to Rhythmia, which was my first experience and did those first four and then did four more uh, a couple months ago. And I've done a number of peyote ceremonies and even some uh, mushrooms and whatnot. Um, I can't imagine where I would have been had I not done that. I would feel like I was in the dark ages in a sense. You know, it's like I was able to, I think because of all of those work, all of those years of work that were just, you know, householder work, man, just meditate, pray, be devotional, study the books, do the yoga, do the breath work, go to darshan, seek out holy company, you know, just the basic fundamental stuff, addiction recovery principles, all that. I think because of that foundation, uh, I really knew what I was doing when I walked in there. Even though I had never done it before, I absolutely knew what my intention was. And when the insights started to come, I knew what was going on. And it was like, cool, let's do this. Let's go deep into the shadow. And some of it was deep into bliss and just oneness and universal consciousness and all the fun parts of you know medicines. Um, that sometimes ensue. But when it came to the things, as you said, the metal detector elements for me, the things in my pocket that were setting off the detector, I mean, I was excited to get in there and really dig in and heal those things and, and still am because I'm sure there's you know still, still more to discover. But I honestly can't imagine where I would be having not had those experiences. I would be fine. I'd be living my best life, I'm sure. But uh, plant medicines have just catapulted me into a completely different stratosphere of understanding um, and been able to clear so many of my blocks, really, the things you know just blocking me from my full expression and all of those those limits that I put on myself um, because of early traumatic experiences. I mean, it's just like it's not you know it's one thing to have an, an intellectual understanding of, as you described being bullied or you know reaching this sort of existential crisis as a teen where you weren't living your purpose uh, and things like that, or, or, or traumas that are more acute that many of us have gone through, like uh, some of mine have been. Regardless of the degree, uh, I think that it can take a really long time to really ferret out the truths without that assistance. And that, for me, just sped things up so much where in four days, I just went through years of shit and just got it out of my experience and moved on. And it's just, um, it's just incredible. And I always add the caveat that I don't necessarily know that that would be the experience for everyone. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a cheerleader. Yay, go off. Everyone do psychedelics or plant medicines. I, for me, it was the right time. I was in the right place, the right setting uh, with the right guides and had done enough foundational work where I really walked in and was very solid about who I am. Uh, what I'm about, what my intentions are. And I think with all of those things combined, it's been amazing for me. And I look forward to exploring more uh, and was not expecting that from you. Uh, as you said, you know, as the yeah. shaman's like, wait, you're going to drink? Yeah, man, I'm here with everyone. Uh, so I really, I appreciate your your courage. And also, uh, you know, amongst the the spiritual teacher circles and the guru circles, there are some people that are adamantly opposed to that path. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, for various reasons, and um, so I know that anyone you know that has a platform that's going on 
you know, sitting down with Oprah and doing the things you've done, you, you stand to perhaps get a bit of criticism or be discredited even in some cases um, mm-hmm. because of that exploration. So I respect your courage to follow your own heart and, and path and just do you. I had the blessing of sitting down with uh, Taito Bonito, who's the, from the Colombian lineage that uh, has kind of uh, become the foundation of everything that shared it with me. And uh, I said to him, I said, what you're doing is giving part with plants. You know, I, I said the, the my experience of Mother Ayahuasca and the Kundalini Shakti is it's the same phenomenon. Right. <laughs> you're just you're just putting the you're giving the the transmission through nature, right? And I said in India we give this initiation or this uh, transmission person to person, right? We extend this invitation through individual to individual. You know, or you know, Baba used to give Shakti to thousands of people, right? And Guru Mai gives people talk about the tens of thousands of people at once. And so, you know, what's happening, what's happening is that uh, we are communing with this presence that is outside of time, outside of content, outside of context, that is pure. And in the presence of that purity, our vibration and our frequency gradually begins to up level and everything that's dissonant and everything that isn't in harmony begins to fall away. And, and the interesting thing is that in everything that I was experiencing with ayahuasca, every time I would teach at Rhythmia and do a session there, they would have ayahuasca experiences without drinking the medicine. Wow. You know, and they were, and wow. they were shocked. They're like, Nash, like how is this happening that we're experiencing these things and having visions and seeing all of these things without drinking any medicine? And I would have to explain. In India, it's called Shaktipat. Right. This is this is what happens through the gift of Shaktipat because what we're doing is awakening the dormant potential that resides at the base of your spine. Uh-huh. So when I yeah, ask yeah, you, yeah. the ego goes to sleep and Mother Ayahuasca begins to rise and goes through all the chakras, goes through the nadis, and goes through a very intense purification, purifies the pineal gland, and, and you're going through this very intense purification, right? But she's working through you diligently layer by layer by layer. When when you give somebody shakti part, same thing. The the dominant control part goes to sleep, and then the kundalini shakti arises. As the kundalini shakti arises, and she's freed from the dominance of the mind and the ego, she purifies the chakras and the nadis and produces these uh, phenomena. And so for me, it was like a masterclass in shakti part and and <laughs> what was happening in shakti part through ayahuasca. Uh, yeah. which is a manifestation of that, you know, and, and, and look, here's what I'll say, you know, uh, ultimately for me, people need to follow their heart and connect with what resonates with them. And at the point when, uh, Rhythmia came into my life, I was literally unwinding, uh, 18 months of the hardest window of time that I'd gone through. Uh, there was a moment with Celeste where she literally flatlined for eight minutes during one of her surgeries. We lost her for eight minutes. And as they were about to put her on life support and make the incision, she came back into her body. Uh, and so, you know, it was a very, very intensive time and that I needed, that I needed with every fiber of my being. Right. And so again, search your heart, you know, search, search your intuition, search your guidance, you know, be aware of what works for you. But in any way, actually, it doesn't discredit anything that anybody's doing. It actually validates it. Because if you can make it through that metal detector of ayahuasca and still be sharing and still be being of service, 
then that means that what you had was real in the first place. You know, a lot of my peers and colleagues were afraid of drinking ayahuasca because they're afraid in some way it's going to mess up their gift or their vibration or their ability. And uh, actually, that's just fear. It's it's just fear is all it is. It's not going to mess anything up. It's going to leave what's meant to be left. And what isn't meant to be left is going to be stripped away, which is the same thing that the Kundalini Shakti does. That's a really interesting correlation. I appreciate that perspective. And I've observed, you know, as I said, through interviewing so many different people and uh, plant medicines, even before I did them, was something I was curious about. So I would often ask a spiritual teacher of sorts, uh, you know, what their opinion is, because I was curious and I wanted to take in as much information from different perspectives as, as I could. And I, I can almost say with 100% certainty that every person that was anti-plant medicines was a person who had not had the experience. And every person I've interviewed that has had an experience said that they benefited and that they're glad they did it. I mean, I don't, I can't think of an exception. There may have been, but that's pretty universal at 90%, if not hundred percent. And that was one of the indicators to me that it's like, well, what's everyone so afraid of? The people that haven't done it, whereas all the people that have done it are like, oh my God, it changed my life, you know. And they just they tell me all these stories of all these healings and you know the understanding that they have about themselves and their life and their mission and all of that and all of the healing of trauma. And that was um, one of the big things that really piqued my curiosity. I thought, well, I'm going with the people that have had the experience and came back to you know live to tell the tale. Uh, and it's you know largely a positive tale. Apart from you know you, you have a tough night here or there. Everyone's had I think um, you know a, a night that they've struggled a bit, and um, you know some journeys are easier and more fun than others. But I've never heard anyone come back from the experience yet. I'm sure they exist. I just haven't interviewed them and saying, "Oh my God, it was a huge mistake. I wish I had never done that." So that you know that's kind of what led me to it. Um, I'm curious though, on your perspective now that we're on this, which is a unexpected topic. As I said, uh, I'm going back to my first four experiences in Rhythmia. And oh man, I mean, I've told the story a bunch and I've done multiple podcasts. In fact, when I went to Rhythmia and then later in the year, uh, Soltara uh, in 2019, I did you know six hours worth of content about each of those weeks and documented the experience while I was there and did interviews. And it was a really pretty um, extensive kind of uh, gonzo journalism immersive reporting experience. So people can go back and hear that. But uh, aside from just having that, the, a very visceral memory of the very first moment when it started to come on in the first ceremony, again, you know, to create the context here, I had not had a sip of wine or anything that made me feel anything except coffee in 22 years at that point. And when ayahuasca hits you, <laughs> you know, it's like... You're not sitting there wondering, hmm, do I feel anything? You're wondering that for a little while, but then when you feel it, man, you really feel it. And I remember just this sense of, um, it was almost a sense of relief that I was safe, you know, especially in the, in the, within the context of recovery, you know, that when it hit, it wasn't like, oh shit, am I drunk? Am I going to start drinking now or doing drugs? It was like the last thing on my mind. It was just, Oh, I'm safe. This, I'm, I'm okay here. You know, this is, this is okay for me, and uh, and it's good. It was a sense that this is a positive thing. But I have to admit, it was also really fun. You know, the first couple nights. I mean, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. You know, to just be able to be unencumbered by the body and the personality and the mind, and just to be in that place of blissful 
conscious awareness, um, which is, you know, it comes in, in spurts every once in a while on, on the natch, but it's, it's exceedingly rare. And when it happens, it's for me, hasn't been that intense or that long lasting. So to have that experience for hours on end was just that alone was life changing. But what I wanted to get to and kind of get your take on is, uh, my experience of it in general is that it somehow has the ability to lift the veil of our senses that limit us to our physical subjective experience and allow us to experience that wider degree of, of, um, of um, consciousness to where, sure, I still know my name's Luke and I know my body's laying there and I still have a thought here or there, but largely I'm, it's like I'm a fish that's poked my head above the water of the sea going like, oh crap, there's a sky out here. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you, you're able to access all of these different dimensions. And within those different dimensions, for me, what seemed to be happening was that there were other unidentifiable uh, beings of consciousness or other entities that possessed intelligence and knowledge that weren't me per se, and they weren't the Godhead, the Supreme God itself, but rather beings, messengers, entities, etc., that I was able to then interface with because I had popped through the dimension of my limited subjective experience. And they came to me not as faces or little green men or anything like that. It's just when I would go to communicate with it or them, it was always, if I had a question, it wasn't like, God, what what do I do about this? Or what's the answer to that, God? Or even Mother Aya, what's the answer to this or that? It always comes out, well, not always, but most of the time is, what do you guys think about this or that? It's almost like a council of, of beings of some sort uh, that are, as I said, unnamed and uh, without, without form, but it's, it's, a, it's a group of intelligent beings that seem to be there uh, and the, perhaps they're here right now, but because I'm in my body and there's nothing that's activating the pineal gland or doing whatever the ayahuasca does to enable me to to work interdimensionally, at least on a perceptual level right now, uh, that the ayahuasca facilitates that. And in that experience, I mean, I got answers to everything. Anything I ask is just, boom, here's the answer. Why am I like this? Boom. Why is this pattern? Why am I stuck in this pattern? Boom. There it is. What happened in this relationship, this career choice? What is it about money? What was it about my childhood, about the abuse, this, that? And it's just the answers are instantaneous and um, seem to be coming from these other beings of sort, almost an, an ET kind of experience without the spooky alien bit, just extraterrestrial, meaning not of this earth of other dimensions. Uh, I settle that to kind of just create the context for some of my experience. Did you get the sense of any of that too? Or what was it like for you in terms of where the answers and insights were coming from? So everything in the shamanic tradition is an initiation that takes you deep into the core of yourself. Um, I actually, interestingly enough, did a sweat lodge. And on the surface of a sweat lodge, uh, it's uncomfortable. You're in a crowded space. You're sweating on top of each other. It's hard to breathe. But the very second you close your eyes and surrender to the experience, you're in the womb of creation, being loved by all of creation. And everything in life is an initiation. 
ayahuasca is an initiation into truth that we've known in India for thousands of years that we have a body, but we're not our body. We have a mind, but we're not our mind. We have feelings, but we're not our feelings. That really what we are is a luminous body, but we've been programmed to believe that we're our physical body and our physical manifest environment. And so ayahuasca and all of these phenomena, Shaktipat, ayahuasca, whatever it is, they're giving you an entry point into the luminous aspect of yourself. And what's interesting about what you're saying right now is yeah. that those same beings that you experienced on ayahuasca are around yeah. you right now. Do you know this? <laughs> okay, okay. That's, are you aware uh, of this? I, I, you know, in, in theory, yes. Okay. Close, close your eyes. Okay. And just take some breaths and just relax. I'm going to now close my eyes. Just and close your eyes and just breathe in the light. So we are always surrounded by siddhas around luminous beings. Okay, so uh, we have this phenomenon of siddha loka where all these amazing, brilliant, golden luminous beings reside. And we always have access to them. So just take some breaths and just completely relax. And I'm just going to ask you some questions and just uh, give me the first answer, okay? And just relax and just breathe. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So in this moment, as, I was, as I'm observing you, you are surrounded by luminous golden beings that are about 10 foot tall that are siddhas, luminous golden beings. So the first question is, how many of them are there, Pablo? Four. Great. Just take a deep breath. Good. And please ask them what they would like to be called. We need a name for them collectively. What would you like to be called? Friends. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay. Now, what we've done is established a connection between you and the core essence of yourself. Okay? So here's what we're going to ask for. Uh, Ask them to fill your heart with the love of God. Please fill my heart with the love of God. just for the benefit of the people that are at home and that are tuning in, just describe to us, please, what you're feeling or what you're experiencing. The moment I asked that question, my mind got incredibly quiet Mm. and still to the point where the clock on the wall is thundering and it's ticking and talking. And I had not previously noticed that it was even there. And just continue to breathe in the likes, and we're just going to continue to uh, just ask them, please fill me with the love of all creation. Please fill my heart with the love of all creation. Please fill my heart with the love of all creation. And just describe to us uh, what you're feeling.
a profound stillness. Beautiful. Very still. Very, very, very relaxed. Very theta. Every phenomenon that we encounter is a manifestation of ourselves in a different form. Everything that we experience is us. Whether they be another human being or whether they be a golden luminous presence, we are the source of it all. And oneness life is as we are. And so you can now use this bridge of friends, this connection to this intelligence that's always with you, to ask questions, to receive the answers, to connect with energy, to connect with support, to be of service to others. And so uh, here's what we're going to do. Ask the friends to fully awaken all of your gifts and abilities. I'm going to ask you, friends, to fully awaken all of my gifts and abilities. <laughs> when I said that, I heard back, get ready. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <clears throat> so... So what's happening is this, we've established a connection with this core essence and intelligence that we have inside of us, that we all have access to. You see, it's just that we're looking outside of us and it's not outside of us. You know, uh, my journey with um, plant medicine ended with the medicine telling me that I was the medicine. Mm. <laughs> and so through that experience, uh, I feel like I've come to a completion with, with that work, you know, it served its purpose, but, but ultimately what it did was purify the vessel, the body, the body is nature. So for me, the greatest blessing that God offered me was a purification of the vessel because the light and the gift and the presence and the manifestation was already flowing through the vessel. So the more we purify the vessel, the more everything opens up. And since my experiences now, what I want, what I've been able to support people with is guiding them into sustainable states of connection. So you know how you're having those experiences and those peak experiences of bliss and of joy? Well, those are our natural state of being. Too. And we can, we can embody those states because when we're being naturally who we are and we're being authentic in who we are at that point, we have access to every energy, every vibration, every frequency, every intelligence because we're no longer separating ourselves from ourselves. We realize that we're the core essence of everything and everyone. And so even when I'm working with people, I'm not resolving anything in them. I'm resolving whatever they have going on inside of myself. And in resolving it in myself, it disappears in them. And oh, that's wow. Life. Wow. That's yeah. a trip. That's, that's cool. life. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, so have fun with the friends and, uh, and, and let me know how this interaction evolves and how it unfolds because you can ask them for anything. So, you know, please, um, you know, send me, you know, uh, vibration, you know, send me support, send me whatever it is that you need, right? This is your way now of connecting with this infinite consciousness. So think of it in terms of this, there's the physical body, then there's the light body, then there's divine consciousness. At first, 
because we're stuck in this illusion of matter and density, we forget that we have a light body and we forget that we have access to divine consciousness. Then we have some form of spiritual awakening and then we remember, oh, wait a minute, I'm not my material possessions, I'm not my mind, I'm not my pain, I'm not my story, I'm not my emotions. I am this luminous presence, I am awareness. Then beyond that, we begin to gain access to this divine consciousness that's ever-present, which is basically just an infinite field of energy with no beginning and no end. It just vibrates at the resonance of love, but it's beyond the human definition of the word love. This is what God is, right? And so what, what happens eventually is that all three of those bodies merge into, the, into one. They blend. Divine consciousness and uh, the light body and the human and the physical experience of reality all blend into one. And at that point, you become a doorway and a bridge through which love and all of these greater expressions are made manifest in this world for the benefit of others. And typically, that's right around the point where your individual self, this notion of an individual self, dissolves. And at that point, you become more identified as the universal expanded self. And through that, you become a bridge for others to go through that same uh, transformation. Beautifully stated. Before we sign off, tell us about your book. Well, the book was born as a result of my journey with Celeste and, uh, and also um, as a result of working with people for the last 20-something years from all over the world. You know, I began to just see some commonalities. And uh, one of the biggest commonalities that I could see that um, regardless of what somebody had accomplished or what somebody had done in their lives, was this feeling of not being enough. You know, it, it, for me, it was this, in every single person, it was the same feeling. Was they didn't feel like they were enough, so they went and built a billion-dollar company to prove that they were enough. You know, they didn't feel like they were enough, so that's why they were self-sabotaging or were in addiction or, you know, were, were undermining themselves in some way, right? Because of the pain of not being enough, the pain of rejection, the pain of, you know, uh, abandonment, whatever that pain was that they were experiencing. And so in working with people, I realized that what we must do, what is imperative now, is to restore the feeling of being enough in humanity. That we must remember that we are enough and that that remembrance of being enough comes from the reconnection of who we are with our essential self. Because at that level, we're already everything. Everything that we want resides there. You know, in every wisdom tradition, when they speak of healing, they speak of returning to the essential self, returning to nature, returning to authentically who you are, becoming simple again, you know, becoming, becoming um, childlike, becoming innocent. And so the book is a doorway into that reality. And really, it's a book about samadhi. It's a book about living in connection and how living in connection and living in the state of being is really the answer and the solution that everybody's looking for, that everybody wants, you know, and that everyone's trying to get through external means, you know. But the very second we start to look inside of ourselves and we start to examine who we are and we start to disengage from all of these carrots that are dangled in front of us and lies that are projected on top of us and the pain and all these other things, the more we revert back to our original design. And the more then our humanity becomes the doorway through which we experience our divinity. Or I should say, the more our humanity becomes the vehicle through which divinity expresses itself in this world. Beautiful. 
And the book is You Are Enough, just for those listening. And those watching the video on YouTube, you can see the cover, that yellow cover right behind you. Well, yeah. well placed cover. Had you been, had you been here in per, in person, it would have been over on that little that little table there in between us. Oh. I like to have the talk show set, you know, with the little book there and everything. But um, had I been there in person, I would have just hugged you the whole time. We wouldn't have even had a conversation because I just love you. Like I feel like I just reconnected with a brother. Like. Likewise, man. Yeah, we would have been hanging out uh, with the luminous, the four luminous friends here. Uh, but I, you know, I really resonate with that, and I think it's such a great reminder for people that um, the answers really are within. You're enough in that sense, also, not just that you're worthy, but that everything that's required to make it through this life and beyond is already been gifted to us. And uh, you know, going back to the plant medicine experiences. As, as those experiences for me progressed and I would ask those questions of the they or the them that appeared to be there, uh, what progressively started to happen was that the answers actually were coming from myself to myself, which wasn't the case at first, but eventually that's where it got to. So I'd be like, what do you guys think about this? Like, why did this breakup happen? What was there to learn there? Or, you know, what should I do about my, my the book that I want to write or this or that? And then I would be telling myself the answer. Uh, and I found that to be really interesting that it started to communicate to me from me, like a letter to myself. And, uh, and that was a further indication to support your premise here and, and the premise of your book that they, mm-hmm. they are there because there is no separation between me and that answer that lies out there in the the great plane of reality and truth, right? That there's no separation mm. between the truth that I contain cognitively as an awareness and the truth that lies universally in existence. It's all one and the same thing. And I'm just a single point of awareness within that consciousness that gets caught up in that single point thinking that, ah, it's out there. I don't have it yet. Yeah. Right? What's amazing too is that actually the more you cultivate this, the more you realize that this little black box, right, called the subconscious has been recording everything your whole life. And all of the information that you need for your life is there. And then all of a sudden you start having complete recall of everything. Right. Of everything, of, the, of all of it, the whole thing. And, and that comes in stillness and it comes from the state of peace and connection. Because when we're feeling peaceful, that's when we're being ourselves. Everything else that we're feeling isn't really who we are, but peace is really who we are. And so when we're being peaceful, all of a sudden, when we need to know something, it's almost like we have a recall of it. You know, we're we're, we're accessing into this wisdom that is beyond the cognitive mind. You know, we realize the limitations of the mind and even, even the need to develop the mind, you know, because all of the answers and everything resides intuitively at the level of the soul. And so this is how we begin to start to live in life. And it becomes quite magical because there are only really two signs of awakening. The first is you become less reactive. And the second is you experience heightened synchronicity. That's it. And so if you're, if you're less reactive and you're experiencing more synchronicity, that's it. You're heading in the direction of your soul. You know, that's it. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, I've learned so much from you today, uh, as has our audience, I'm sure. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced you and your work that you might recommend the uh, audience go check out as well? I love, uh, obviously, Papa Mutananda uh, and uh, a lot of the books that he wrote. I think um, uh, Play of Consciousness is a must read for people. 
uh, absolutely people who meditate on the path of awakening. Ram Das for me was such a blessing on this earth, bro. Uh, he was such an amazing bridge between India and America. And uh, his teachings and his presence, uh, very, very powerful and very, very uh, instrumental in bringing uh, the wisdom and the gift and the blessing of the East into the Western psyche and into the forefront of the Western consciousness. And so uh, Ram Das, while he was here, was so instrumental. And then the third, for me, is all of the people that I get to meet every day. You know, uh, after a while, you realize that it's only God speaking to you uh, when you really learn to listen. You know, you, you realize that this infinite intelligence is speaking to you you know, through every form, through every person, through, through nature, through all things. And uh, the more we cultivate this ability to listen and be available for what's being communicated, the more we realize that there's only one energy at work here, and that energy is love, and that everything's bringing us home to ourselves. And so uh, check out Play of Consciousness, check out Be Here Now, and also just cultivate the ability to be available to what life is wanting to communicate to you and how life is communicating to you because it's all manifestation of grace. Awesome, man. What a great time to put a bow on that gift. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, in closing, tell us about your social media websites, anywhere we can find you, your books, your work, any events, anything you want people to know about. So the website is um, panashtasai.com, which is P-A-N-A-C-H-E. D-E-S-A-I.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Panash Desai. I'm on Facebook at official Panash Desai, I think it is, or Panash Desai fan page. So just search for me, you'll see me with the check mark. And uh, just stay connected. I can't wait to to just stay connected with everybody. And I'm so grateful to you, Luke, for this platform and for the gift and blessing of this time and for the way in which you share yourself and your journey, bro. Like it's been wonderful just watching you you know and, and seeing your evolution and to connect with you this makes my heart so happy so i love you thank you brother likewise love you too thank you so much and with that we'll end the show and i look forward to seeing you again yes thank you for joining me on yet another lifestylist podcast episode big shout out to our guest panache desai i had an amazing time during this conversation, it's uh, it's always interesting to meet someone for the first time online and to conduct interviews on Zoom as this one was uh, after becoming quite spoiled over the past few years of being able to interview most of my guests in person. But one thing that was noticeable right away is Panache's ability to just drop right in and connect. And I was reminded that uh, distance is indeed a figment of our imagination and that all things are one. And uh, I love interviewing people that are bringing that message forward. We need as much positivity as we can muster in today's climate of upheaval and confusion. And so I'm so happy to be able to spend time with guests such as he, and I will continue to do so. In fact, next week, uh, we'll have Dr. Ted back on the show talking about the nature of consciousness and spiritual evolution uh, in a completely different and unique way. So I can't wait to bring that episode to you. I've got a couple upcoming events. As of now, uh, it looks like they're happening. The first one being uh, the Healing Power of Energy Retreat at my favorite place on the planet, Cuixmala in Mexico. 
August 14th through 21st. And then again in September, the Health Optimization Summit in London. Now that date is set, but it's pending, so I'm not going to announce it here. I'm just going to tell you uh, if you're interested in any of my upcoming events, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash events and everything will be um, updated there so that you won't be misled as things change in the world of travel. Hey, check it out. Uh, before I thank our sponsors, I want to let you know that I'm about to launch the EMF Home Safety Masterclass. And uh, I am so stoked about this thing. I'm so proud. It's uh, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart as I am just profoundly affected uh, negatively by EMFs and have a long history of trying to learn how to deal with them. So I went ahead and created a really easy to understand and comprehend course about them. Uh, this course is going to be 149 and it's over four hours of content. I mean, it is insanely dense. Uh, however, if you want to get on the wait list and save yourself a hundred bucks as I prepare the final touches on this class, you can do so by going to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. That's lukestory.com EMF masterclass. By entering your name and email there, you're going to save 100 bucks. meaning this class is only going to cost you $49. And it's hours and hours of deep dive content on how to identify the EMF in your environment and how to fix it. Now, for those of you that are hearing this after the launch, you're going to be stuck with the $149 uh, price. But trust me, it's more than worth it. And uh, the link will be the same. Again, that's lukestory.com EMF Masterclass. I'd like to thank our official sponsors, oseamalibu.com that's o-s-e-a oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist you're going to save 10 bucks off your first purchase of 50 dollars or more these guys make some fantastic natural skincare products they are unparalleled just absolutely fantastic stuff i use it all the time as does my girlfriend allison uh if there was a hidden camera in my bathroom right now you'd see their bottles strewn about at least on my side of the bathroom <laughs> the other side's quite tidy. Uh, but yeah, they make some great stuff, man. And I'm very, very cautious about what I put not only in my body, but on my body. And oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist makes some fantastic products. And I'm really stoked to have them as a sponsor. And then let's give a shout out to Beekeepers Naturals. Man, I don't know what I would do without their amazing bee products. You can find them at beekeepersnaturals.com. And the code there is Lifestylist, and that saves you 15% off. And as a reminder, I want to let you know that you can find all of our sponsors and everything that I use and recommend in my life over at lukestory.com forward slash store. So if all of those links for all the sponsors get confusing, just know that there's one link that takes you to everything you could ever want, including those exclusive discount codes. So that's lukestory.com forward slash store. And with that, my friends, I'm going to tune out and uh, conduct this interview that I've got here in one hour with a very exciting upcoming guest. And with that, I will bid you farewell. Thanks so much for listening. And if you feel called, share this episode with a couple friends. 